Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Woo, how we doing, friends? You guys uh, and gals are the brave souls that uh, made it through this I don't know what we're calling this thing, the atmospheric river in the sky. I feel like that, that term is getting thrown around a lot, but praise God, we're getting some rain and snow in October. Come on, somebody, we need it. And uh, man, today I'm so fired up to be continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians, and as Dan said, today is a, uh, is a spicy one. And uh, what I love about the Bible is this, the Bible does not shy away. It never shies away from all the topics of life. Nothing is out of bounds for God. Amen, somebody. God has the authority to speak into every area of our lives because he's our designer, he's our maker, he's our creator, and we actually believe he has something to say that's helpful, that's freeing, that leads to a life of flourishing and joy, and so today, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago as I gave an overview of the book of Corinthians. Um, it's a fascinating book because Paul plants this church in Corinth. He's, he's there for about a year and a half, and then he, he moves on to go plant a church with Priscilla and Aquila in Syria, and he, he leaves um, the elders and the people in charge in Corinth, and he moves on. And uh, he begins to get reports from this young church plant back in Corinth, and he gets some pretty uh, unsettling reports about what's happening back in Corinth. And I mentioned it in week one, it was kind of like Christians gone wild, okay? People getting drunk on the communion wine, there's all sorts of insane things happening left and right. <clears throat> and so he says, okay, I've heard these reports, and the entire letter, the book of 1 Corinthians and really 2 Corinthians, is Paul's response to these reports. So it's kind of divided up like a series of essays where he's responding to certain issues that the church is going through, which makes it super helpful and super relevant for us because what we find as we dig into this book is just amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Humans have not changed that much over the past 2,000 years. We're all still dealing with the same basic core issues, and that's why the truth of God's word never goes out of style. It's always relevant for what we're walking through. And so Dave, Pastor Dave, did an amazing job last week talking through this idea of unity and division, and uh, that's really chapters one to four of the entire book, and then chapters five to seven, Paul gets into this realm of sexuality, human sexuality, and divisions, and lawsuits, and a few specific cases that he addresses directly, and uh, in this section of scripture, he really, he brings it all to a crescendo in this passage of scripture. I'm going to read it for us now. We're not, <laughs> we're not going to get through all this today, because as I was studying it, I realized, man, there's so much here that I want to say. There's so much you can say on this topic. So we're going to take a couple weeks to hit this. Please come back next week. I'm challenging you. Come to church two weeks in a row. I know for some of you that is like an amazing goal, an unheard of thought, but you can do it. I believe in you. Two weeks in a row. Come to church. Um, but here's, here's the text that we're going to be unpacking. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 
uh, verse 12 to 20. It says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by any, anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, may it never be. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, at first glance, you know, this is, this is one of those sections of Scripture where just reading it out loud, just reading it out loud, you're like, man, is someone going to cancel me or unfollow me or tweet me somewhere? Just reading the Bible can be scandalous sometimes. It just can be. And I, I love that about Scripture at one level because God is allowed, as I said, to speak into all areas of our lives. And I want to start with a couple things because, you know, when you get down to it, human sexuality is, is central to all of us. It's central to all of us. All of us deal with this on some level or another. Or another. All of us have, have to wrestle with this topic. Um, and today, as I go through the Word of God, I'm going to actually, I was going to make a Georgia Bulldog illustration, but I've kind of missed that moment, so we'll just move on from there. No, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it anyways. I'm going to try something new today with the iPad because I want to take us through the Bible verse by verse and interact with it a little bit more on the screen. So I found this sweet new app, and mainly I want to show you guys how the Bulldogs and this defensive line right here are going to destroy Alabama in the SEC championship game. And uh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And, uh, you know, if you take a look at how these linebackers are, I feel like an ESPN analyst. Like, this is incredible. Um, all right, moving on. Completely irrelevant. But here, here's what I do want to get to. And I want you guys to repeat after me as we dive into this, okay? Because this is my heart for today as we unpack this section of Scripture. Just maybe you can say this with me. Number one, I would rather my pastor... Do his best to teach God's word accurately and speak the truth in love instead of telling me what I want to hear. Going to hold you all to that, okay? <clears throat> so many different parts of this passage and the reason that I start with that, um, they're extremely challenging and they're extremely hard for us to hear. They're challenging and they're hard for us to hear. They're challenging and hard to hear because it's not what our culture is telling us. It's not the water that we're swimming in. None of this is culturally acceptable or relevant. And sometimes you're like, Lord, who gave you the right to speak into this area of my life? Who, who's this bothering any, anyways? What's the, what's the big idea here? Why are you getting into my business with this, Lord? And so these two realities are true. They're very true for all of us as we dive into different parts of God's word. But as we jump into this, I, I wanna give us a few 
um, major sort of guidelines, guide rails for this topic as we, as we jump in. Number one, as we look at this text, I want you to know this is for you. It's for you. And I think so often, you know, we can read the Bible or we can hear a message and we can immediately think, oh, I'm, my spouse is going down after this one. <laughs> oh, I know, who, I know who I'm gonna send this message to later. But this one is for you. God is concerned with your heart, with your actions, with your life. This is something that God has great concern for in your life personally. Uh, number two, and I just wanna put this on the table for all of us and just say, okay, let's clear the slate here. All of us are sexually broken. There is not a single person in this room, me included, who has a perfect sexual record, who has perfectly lived up to God's standard in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our passions, our desires, in our past, either our past in Christ or before Christ. None of us have measured up fully. So this is for all of us, and this is an area that all of us can grow in. All of us need God's help, God's freedom, God's power, God's transforming grace to work on our hearts in this area. Number three, shame does not help in this area. Shame says, shh, quiet, don't talk about that. Don't bring that into the light. Shame produces guilt, and guilt produces condemnation, right? God says, I came to get rid of all the condemnation and all the shame so that you can openly and honestly work through these issues in your life with the grace of God and actually find true freedom, actually find transformation. Shame keeps us in bondage. Grace sets us free. Grace sets us free. Number four, I wanna encourage you to be open to God's word. Be open and humble as we go through this passage of scripture together. Allow the word of God maybe to offend you a little bit. Allow God's word to penetrate you and convict you and, and begin to examine your life and say, man, where is my life not lined up with God's word? Why would God say these things to me and for me on this issue? And Lord, show me the areas in my life where you wanna bring healing or you need me to make some life, lifestyle decisions and changes. Even though it may not make total sense to me at this point, I wanna follow you. I wanna honor you with my life. And then number five, we have to remember that grace always offers a fresh start. Again, number two, all of us are sexually broken. All of us have experienced some form of brokenness in our lives through this, bar none, or failure. And grace offers us a fresh start today. So the goal of today is not to dig up your past. It's not to bring shame into your life over past decisions or mistakes from your past or things that have been done to you or by you in the past. The goal of today is to bring freedom through the grace of God. And one of the words that comes up a lot in this passage of scripture is the word sexual immorality. And when we hear that word, I think there's a lot of different connotations that might go off in your mind. What does that mean? The actual Greek word for that is porneia. And it's actually where we get the root word for pornography in our culture. 
And so what Paul is talking about, though, is much broader than that. It's a much bigger topic that he's addressing in this area. And when he uses that phrase, what he's actually saying is this. God designed sex to be enjoyed and experienced in the context of marriage between a husband and wife as long as they both shall live. And anything outside of that, any, any, any form of sexuality or sexual encounters outside of that are actually called by Paul and by God sexual immorality against God's design. Now, I know, time out, right there. Everyone's like, all right, I'm out. I blew it. Already blew that one. Me included, right? All of us are in this together. But the goal is this, is not to look at that and say, man, I... I messed up, I'm on my second or third marriage, or I've you know, made some decisions in my past that, gosh, did not line up with God's will for my life in this area. The goal in this is to say, okay, God made us. He has a good design for us. And even though our culture doesn't agree with this, and this is actually, quite frankly, a weird idea for much, much of our culture, God is our designer and our creator is saying, I wanna show you the way to human flourishing. I made you, I know what's best for you, and it's an opportunity for us to step into trust and following him. And so we're gonna take two weeks on this, and we're really gonna dive into this because there is so much here. You can't cover it all in a sermon. You know, human sexuality is nuanced, it's complicated, it's controversial, I get it. There's a lot of baggage that a lot of us carry around this topic, but we do want to continually look back to God's word for guidance, for truth, for freedom, and for grace, amen? Okay, here we go, everyone take a deep breath. This is gonna be good, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be amazing. None of you believe me. Here's the first thing that we see in Corinth. Here's what they're dealing with. So Paul has moved on. He's writing back to them. And the first thing he's addressing is this. The Corinthians are dealing with a crisis of authority and a confused perception of freedom. A crisis of authority and a confused perception of freedom. In essence, what they're saying to Paul is, you're not the boss of me, Paul. And let me show you this. From the scripture, this is, this is where we get this from, and I, I love this. One of the things you'll notice right off the bat as we get into this text is quotation marks right here. So Paul is quoting a phrase, a phrase used by the Corinthians. They're saying to Paul, all things are lawful for me. Paul is addressing the fact that specifically the men in the Corinthian church are still visiting the prostitutes in the temples. This is a normal part of their life. It's a very socially acceptable way to live, and it was a massive double standard. The men could do whatever they wanted sexually. There were no boundaries on their life sexually. However, the women, on the other hand, if a woman ever went outside of her marriage, she was immediately, she lost all honor for the rest of her life. In fact, they took it so serious for women that they would engrave one word on the tombstone. If a woman stayed faithful her whole life, the word univira would be engraved on her tombstone, which meant she withheld, she upheld the honor of her family by staying faithful to one man her whole life. Men, on the other hand, could do whatever they wanted with whomever they wanted, however they wanted. 
There was no standard for the men. It was only for the women. And so Paul is addressing this. He's actually coming at the guys. He's addressing everyone in this situation, but specifically the men who are trying to justify, hey, Paul, what's the big deal? Everybody in Corinth goes to the pagan temples and visits the prostitutes there. That's just a normal part of life. We've all been doing this since we were young men. This is completely socially acceptable. And besides, all things are lawful for me. I'm free in Christ. Paul, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do with my private, my personal life. All things are lawful for me. Gosh, does that sound like America in 2021 or the world in general? So they're they're making this argument, all things. You can't tell me not to do some things. Nothing is out of bounds for me. It's all good, lawful. It's lawful for me. And Paul's first rebuttal is this. To this statement, he says... Very, very clearly, but not all things are helpful. But not all things are helpful. And this is amazing to me. This is so fascinating to me because he's addressing this issue specifically of how the men have a double standard against the women. And he's saying, look, the entire essence of the Christian life is to be for others is to serve others, not just to serve your own needs, wants, and desires, but to lay down your lives for others as Christ laid his life down for the church. And yes, men, maybe you think this is helpful for you, but let's just be real. How do you think it makes your wife feel? If she had to get honest, I know it's socially acceptable and it's a cultural norm, but deep in her heart, how do you think she feels after you all got in a fight or she's not meeting your needs or whatever it may be and you say, I'll see you tomorrow and you head off to the temple? It's not helpful for her. It's not even close. It is, it is turning your sexual needs, preferences, and desires into something selfish, And the first thing that Paul is trying to say in this section of scripture is, look, if it's not helpful, it's not God's will. If it's not helpful for another, especially for those that you care for most, it's not God's will. It may be lawful. Yes, you're saved by grace, but the the grid we're looking at is helpful. It's helpful. I thought about this. You know, God has a design for our sexuality. He has an intention for our sexuality. And and he designed it and he intended it to be used in a particular way. And and humans get, you know, crazy and creative when it comes to how they choose to use certain things. And you can kind of tell when something is being used in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. It's not very hard. I came across some photos. I was looking this up on the internet. Um, For example, right, this outboard motor is is not intended to be used in a Honda Civic. Is it helpful? This dude is loving it. He thinks it's helpful, right? Yeah, it makes the car move and probably not lawful, but ultimately you can't see where you're going. This is just one of the many uh, little gold nuggets from the year 2020. Uh, Helpful, maybe, I don't know, probably lawful. Uh, This right here is why men never live uh, longer than women. This dude is in an alligator suit. 
I just can't imagine that this was actually intended to be used in this way and uh, is not helpful at the end of the day. There's a lot of things in our life, I know those are ridiculous examples, but what Paul is trying to say is that not all things are helpful when it comes to your sexuality, and if it's used in a way that God did not intend, it can actually bring harm, harm. And so the point is this, Sex becomes harmful, not helpful, when it's selfishly focused on meeting your own needs or desires instead of faithfully loving and serving your spouse in the context of marriage. That's what he's saying. When it becomes self-centered, when it becomes all about you, when it becomes all about meeting your needs and your desires in that moment, it's a big point that Paul is making. And so often, there is the temptation for our sexuality to be used in this way. I'm lonely, I need someone to fulfill my needs. My spouse is no longer meeting my needs, so I'm gonna get them filled elsewhere. I don't want the commitment of marriage that's just expensive and we're probably gonna get divorced anyways. I want the benefits of living together without actually having to serve and commit myself to this person for the rest of my life? What if someone better comes along? I have deep insecurities because I've, left, I've been left so many times, I just need to keep filling that hole in my life with another person. And then thinking even further down of abusive situations. Those are always selfish. Addiction in this area is often fueled by selfish desires. Paul is calling out the men here, but he's really calling out everyone saying, is it helpful? Is it designed to serve and love the person that you're committed to? He goes on to say this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Again, he says, and, and he's quoting, it's so important to see him addressing the statements of the Corinthians. All things are lawful. He says it twice. He's gonna combat this in two different ways. All things are lawful for me. He goes back at it. But, and this is huge, I will not be dominated or mastered by anything. This word lawful in the Greek, it means I have the right to decide. I have the right to determine what is right or wrong for myself. I have self-autonomy. And so the Corinthians are saying, in essence, you're not the boss of me. Paul, I have the freedom to do what I wanna do, especially in this area. But what Paul is saying is this, is your idea of freedom, your idea of freedom being simply this, and this is where Paul really gets after it. He goes, look, the Corinthians believe that freedom means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. That's what freedom is. And Paul goes, yeah, but when it comes to sexuality, you're dealing with something very powerful. Very powerful. In fact, if you only fulfill all your desires all the time, whenever, with whomever you want, it's gonna end up becoming your master and you're actually gonna end up in more bondage and it's gonna, be, it's gonna cause more wreckage in your life than the freedom you think you have. True freedom is what Paul is trying to say. Freedom is actually having the power to say no 
to your passions, feelings, and desires, especially when they're trying to convince you to wreck your life. I mean, how many of us in this room would say, yeah, there's a few times where I followed what I wanted, when I wanted it, and it didn't turn out super great for me? I'll be the first to raise my hand. How many times have we felt in bondage to our passions and desires and we wish we just had the power to say no because that thing is dominating my life. It's dominating me in a way that is not helpful. It's not healthy. So many of us have experienced this and what Paul is saying to them and what he's saying to us is, friends, God gave us boundaries for our good. And actually, you may think you're free because you can do whatever, whenever, with whomever, but actually you're in bondage to yourself and to your own desires. True freedom is self-control. It's the ability by God's grace to say no. And friends, we don't have to be an addict to understand what it feels like to be powerless in the face of our passions and desires. We have all felt this sense of powerlessness or something else dominating us. And it could be in terms of food. I'll be the first to admit to you I am utterly powerless when I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and there is a fresh carton of dulce de leche ice cream in the freezer. I have no power in my soul to say no to that. It dominates me every time. We know what it feels like to be powerless in the face of certain sexual urges or desire. We know what it feels like to be dominated by a desire for money and more stuff. We know what it feels like when our image or our self-image dominates us. Social media can dominate you. The 24-7 news cycle can dominate your thoughts. What are we controlled by? What has become our master? Loneliness can dominate us. Our desire for attention, intimacy, and relationship can dominate us. Anxiety, fear, insecurity, anger. Just pick one. We all know what it feels like to be mastered by something, dominated by something. And what Paul is saying to these men is, guys, check yourself. What you think is freedom might actually be controlling your life to the point where you can't say no to it anymore. And it's actually doing more harm especially in your most important relationships, than good. Okay, so we just tackled one verse. That's why we're going for two weeks, okay? Is it helpful? Am I dominated by it? You're not the boss of me, Paul. All things are lawful for me. And then he goes on to the next one, and honestly, the first time I read this, I was like, hard left turn. What are you talking about, Paul? This makes no sense. He goes into this section, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Super helpful and clear. Thanks, Paul. Uh, it's actually the Corinthians. This is another quote from the Corinthians justifying why they can do whatever they want sexually. We'll get to that in a second. That's why it's in quotes. And then Paul responds, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so let's get into this. Again, what we see right here is the Corinthians coming up with an argument. We see the quotes right here. This is what they're saying to Paul. They're saying, okay, Paul, here's the deal. All things are lawful for me. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. Also, Paul, don't you realize food is meant for uh, the stomach? We all know that. You don't put 
anything but food in the stomach. If you put other things in your stomach besides edible food things, it's harmful for you, right? This is just how life works. And the stomach is designed, again, for food. And God will destroy them both. There was this thought in Corinth, and what they're saying here is this. Look, sex is just an appetite. It's like your desire to eat. It's just a natural appetite. And and besides, Paul, you know, what you do with your body, it doesn't really matter because it's just gonna rot in the ground one day. Food's here for a minute, food doesn't stay fresh very long, and then it rots in the ground. Just like our body, God will destroy them both. Food is for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. They're talking in context to their sex life, and they're saying, look, it's just an appetite, and it's completely separate from your soul. Paul, you came and you preached the gospel and my soul is saved. I'm a new creation inside the eternal part of me. What matters most is the eternal part of me and that part's good. Therefore, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. Therefore, hey, food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. You know, the body is for sex. God gave me sexual desires and they're not bad. So hey, I can just exercise this as an appetite whenever I want. Paul, don't you get it? It's just temporary. The body's just temporary. Our appetites change. Maybe tonight I want pad thai. Maybe tomorrow I want Chick-fil-A. Maybe for breakfast the next day I want an omelet. It's just an appetite. Your appetites, what we do with our physical lives doesn't matter. What matters is our soul. Is our soul right with the Lord? But Paul responds, He says this very clearly. He says, actually, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's like putting something other than food into your stomach. He says, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So Paul is breaking down this misconception in the Corinthian church that, hey, your spiritual life and the rest of your life are two separate things. They're two separate things. The, the Greeks, especially the Corinthians, believed the, the physical world was one thing, the spiritual and material world was another thing, and there was, they were mutually exclusive. They did not overlap. And Paul is saying, nope, wrong. And gosh, don't we know this to be true? What you do with your body has a massive impact on your soul, on your spirit. That's why after you exercise, you feel better. That's why when you eat well and when you have a good diet, the rest of you, your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, you feel better. Paul says that's a wrong starting point. The Corinthians believed that the soul and the body were completely separate things. Therefore, as long as your soul was saved, it did not matter what you did with your body. They were saying, in essence, my religion and my faith are private and separate from the rest of my life. What Paul is saying, on, on the contrary, is God didn't just come to save your soul. He came to work salvation in all of your life. Every part of you. Every single part of you. He, he has concern about your sexuality, about your appetites, about how you spend your money, about your relationships, about all these different things. God is interested in all of it. It's one massive thing for the Lord, one massive thing for him in terms of salvation. And he goes on to the next verse. I wanna finish this verse and look at the next one right here. 
This is incredible. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, the Lord for the body. And then he goes to verse 14. This is incredible. Don't miss this. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. What? He goes, wrong, Corinthians. Your body is not just gonna rot in the ground. Look, Christianity is not a religion about getting your soul right with God and dying and going to heaven and becoming a fat baby floating on a cloud, okay? That's not Christianity. It's not. Christianity is about God redeeming all of you and one day raising you from the dead with a glorified body, bringing the whole world back to Eden, perfect creation and perfect union with him, and then allowing us to live in the joy and freedom and intimacy with him forever in the way the earth, the new earth, was intended to be in the beginning, before it was destroyed by sin. And so Christianity is not a religion about, hey, we got one life, one shot, and then my soul is just disembodied forever. That's why the New Testament says when a person dies, they're just sleeping. God's gonna wake them up when, they come, when he comes back. And so God, here, Paul, he's saying, look, guys, what you do with your body matters. God cares about all of you, your body, your sexuality, all these different things. And he's given you a model of marriage, a model, a model of commitment and vulnerability that is supposed to, to be a reflection of eternal salvation between Christ and the church. It wasn't just arbitrary. And yes, it looks peculiar to the rest of the world. It looks peculiar to the Roman culture that you're living in right now. And it's supposed to. And yes, it's not always convenient, and yes, it doesn't always feel right, and yes, it's not always popular, but it's actually pointing to the fact that there's something way bigger going on here. As much as our culture has tried to hijack the institution of marriage, it was God's idea from the very beginning, and he goes, it's actually going to point to a future day, a day of resurrection where I make all things new. And your life is supposed to model that. Are we living our lives in every area as though there is a day coming when we are raised from the dead? Perfect forevermore. And this is what Paul is talking about. Then he gets much deeper into this. And there's so much more to talk about. Um, that's why we're only hitting three verses today. But we're gonna have a part two in this next week. And the way he ends it in this section is so, so powerful. And again, so many different grids that I wanna make sure we're looking at this through. The number one grid is shame is not helpful. Shame is not helpful. The second grid is some of these things are hard to hear because they don't line up culturally with what's acceptable in our culture. And so remembering those two things as we head into next week, but also remembering that, man, God has such intentionality and design for this area of our life. He has a, a future plan for us. And I want to close with this because Paul ends with this. He says, the very end in verse 19, and again, we're going we're gonna to unpack this more next week. Please join us next week as we dive into how does this actually play out in our lives and our relationships and all these different areas, and, and why is God actually asking this of us? We're not, we're not getting too much into the why. We're hitting the what right now. But verse 19, it says this, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with, within you, whom you have from God? And it says, you are not your own. You were bought, you were purchased with a price. 
So glorify God with your body. What's he talking about there? What is this price that we were purchased with? What's the doorway to freedom and transformation with all of our appetites, not just our sexuality? He's talking about the cross. You were bought at the highest price. You're not your own. God bought you through the death of his son, Jesus. He purchased you. So glorify God with your body. But here's the amazing thing about that. He knows it's in that act of love, in that act of divine love that we are set free to live in the fullness of what he's designed for us in terms of our sexuality. And I'll never forget the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus sits down next to her and he asks her for a drink, And she says to him, wait, you want me, a Samaritan woman, to give you, a Jewish man, a drink? And he says, well, if you knew who was asking you, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water, one drink of which you would never need to drink again. And they start talking a little more, and she says, sir, please give me some of this water. And he goes, absolutely, just go and get your husband first. And she's downcast and she says, I, I, I don't, I'm not married. And he goes, you're right to say that you're not married because the man with whom you're living now is not your husband and the five guys that you left before that, you've had a rough sexual history here, right? You've been looking for a drink in all the wrong places and it's caused a lot of brokenness and pain in your life. But I'm here to look at you and to tell you there's no shame in that. I'm not judging you for that. I'm just saying, ask me for a drink. Reorient your life to the love of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where the healing and the satisfaction begins that then allows you to flourish in every other relationship in your life. That's where the healing begins for all of us. And all of us are sexually broken. All of us deal with something in this area of our life. And the Lord is saying, come to me first. Understand that you were bought by my love at the highest price and let that be the starting point for your redemption in this entire area. Don't get hung up on the what have I done or what feels right or this doesn't make sense in terms of the cultural moment that we're living in. Don't get hung up on any of that. Start with the cross and say, Lord, what are you saying in your word and why? And then allow that love of God to wash away shame and guilt to clear away enough space in your soul to see, okay, Lord, maybe I don't need to run to this relationship. Maybe I do need to bring my life in alignment with your standard of sexuality for my life, even though it doesn't make sense, doesn't feel right in this moment. Maybe you've got something more. Maybe this is all about a way bigger picture. And so today, my prayer for you is that Wherever this message lands in your life, whatever you've been through, whatever you face, whatever struggle you're in right now, that you would remember that God purchased your freedom in this area specifically through his death and his blood on the cross. And we're gonna take communion together as a reminder of that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Even when it's hard to hear, even when it may confront some very personal things in our own lives, 
But I pray, Father, that we would trust you, that we would start with the cross and that we would realize maybe there are some areas that I'm being dominated. Maybe there's some, some activities that I'm engaged in that aren't helpful or loving and maybe this entire area of my life is just centered on me. And Father, I'm asking right now that there would be the beginning of hope and freedom for people in this room that feel like they're in bondage. There'd be a realization that, man, what we do with our bodies does affect our souls. And Lord, I pray right now the voice of shame would be silenced as we remember the one sacrifice that has set us free forever. And I pray that grace would empower us to live according to your word. Thank you, Lord, that you died on a cross as we take your body and your blood and this cracker and this juice together. Would we be reminded again of what you've done for us? Lord, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.